Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. And if you happen to be outside of our local calling area, you can add a 225 on there, and that will reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. Yes, it will. There you go. And that's, <laughs> that's the name of that tune. And I see we've got Matt's been patiently holding already. Good morning, Matt. Morning, guys. How you doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. I just got a quick question. Uh, thanks for your time. I got an 05 Focus. Uh-huh. And the, the modal actuator, uh, when you go to turn it, it was hard for a while. I uh, I installed a new one because the gears, I guess, wind up breaking from okay. going back and forth. And All right, sir. Hard. Yes, sir. So when I redid it, I, I got one to put some white lithium in, in between because it's like a slotted piece where it runs along the shaft. Yes, sir. Up and down. Mm-hmm. I tried putting some white lithium in it and greasing it up and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure enough, like maybe a month later, broke again. Yeah, probably, Matt, the door itself down inside the evaporator case is binding or hitting on something. Where that little shaft comes up with the socket on top that the thing plugs into, that is the end of a shaft that goes all the way down into that evaporator case. There's a flap door in there with some foam rubber that seals off either way when it opens or closes. That door is probably dragging inside the case. And putting okay, too much strain on the motor or the upper socket. Normally, it'll break that upper socket is what'll happen if, if the motor doesn't burn up. Because when I when I move it by hand, when I move that little fin yes, that sir. you can reach, I mean, it moves fine. It feels like nothing's wrong. And, yeah, uh, but what happens... Yeah, what happens, though, Matt, is that when you're using, say, the heater, it gets hot, gets really hot, and then it starts to deform a little bit, and that's when it's going to bind. So okay. if you go in there when it's nice and cool, it may work fine. But when you turn your heater on and that hot air, you know, you got to remember that air is probably 180 degrees. And when that starts okay. blowing on that piece of plastic, it's going to kind of warp it up a little bit. And it will expand. In fact, the whole case is plastic. So that is almost always going to be the case. It's very, very, very difficult, Matt, to get in there and get to that. You have to take the whole dash out practically. What I have seen folks do, it's probably not the right way to do it, but it's a lot easier, is they'll take some type of a tool and actually cut a hole in the side of that case where they can get and just trim that door back where it can't drag and then just take and put the original piece back in and maybe seal it with some RTV or some duct tape or something like that. Probably not the proper way to do it. You know, I couldn't do that in the shop, but a do-it-yourselfer can do that kind of stuff Correct. if he's looking and for a much easier I, way. If I was to take the whole center out mm-hmm. and take the... Probably I could only get the left hand out. Well, if you I have could to get the whole left of the glove out. Do you think no, that's enough to get no, it No, sir. It's inside of the evaporator case, which is a two-part case, which you have to take the entire dash out. Then the whole case has to come out, and you have to split two halves of the cases inside of there. So I understand what you it's, it's a major, major ordeal to get to. Okay. Shop time, that's probably like eight hours, right? Probably so, eight yes, hours? sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Matt, where are you really calling from? New York. What part? Long Island. All right. All right. Well, uh, kind of a fix that you're going to get a T-shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, Matt, thanks for calling, man. Take care, guys. Yes, thank sir. You. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Yeah, that New York accent. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I say he's either Brooklyn or Long Island. I couldn't tell which. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I sure am glad he calls. You know, we got a lot of folks who do listen to us on iHeart and Stitcher and even listens to the podcast on uh, iTunes and some of the other fine podcast services that are out there. And I get emails all the time. I'm sure. So I know a lot of these guys are listening. And I really like when they call in because... 
Well, it makes for an interesting change of venue. Well, that's right. Area changes, different questions. Well, that's right. If you happen to be listening from outside our calling area, we always appreciate hearing from you. And we do have an Agco t-shirt that we'll be glad to send out to the people who call from the furthest distance. Exactly. And that goes out USPS. It'll just give the producer your name and the place that you're calling from. And shirt size preference. Shirt size preference. And you may get the white classic agco shirt and you may get the retro shirt which is a tan tan and brown yeah kind of old style oh, that's from back go. in the 80s the old logo that we used to use and yeah we got a limited number of those just kind of pencil kind of move them in <laughs> 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 when i'm sending those out so hey give us a call it's 499-9526 and just in case you don't care to call in or something maybe occurs to you during the week that's right you can always get your questions answered by visiting our website the address is www.agcoauto.com. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. That's right. That'll get you to our site. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. A lot of times sooner, depending on when it goes out and comes back. Most time you'll get it a lot sooner because very often I'm either sitting at the computer, particularly in the afternoon after I get home in the evenings, I'm sitting there working on one thing or another, so we generally get it back really fast. During the day, I tend to check that email, I don't know, eight, ten times a day, uh-huh. about once an hour, so I try to check it. I, I can't always do that. If it's a Monday, I'm generally real, real busy, and it may be once every four hours I check it. But Of course, if you send it after about nine in the afternoon, I'm going to be sleeping. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost guaranteed the next yeah, day. Yeah, about 5.30 the next morning, you may get a reply, there but that's, uh, that's my time I get up, so... <laughs> But go on there, pop around, see what you think. Uh, there's an article that went online this morning, which is sort of a follow-up to last week's article, and entitled Some Early Motor Car History. And that is in the detailed topic section. It is, right on the front page. This one is on the first fatality in the United first States, the first recorded, recorded fatality, fatality in the United States. A gentleman named Henry Bliss was actually run down by an electric taxi cab in New York on uh, in 1898. 99? Yes, sir. All right. And right on the corner of West 74th and Central Park West, which was in front of the old San Remo Hotel, which is right where the San Remo apartments are now. Okay. Uh, Same name, different building. That building was actually raised back in the 20s, and the current building was erected one block from the Dakota apartments where John Lennon was killed. Okay. Not a whole lot remains of the original site, but we did a tremendous amount of research on that. There's a map of the area. I've got a photograph of his house where he lived. Right. I actually have a picture of his gravesite in there that was, you don't even ask me how I got that. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of research. Lots and lots of research at work, but I do have a photo of that. And ironically, he's actually lying in an unmarked grave. No uh, kidding. No tombstone. So I don't know if anybody's feeling benevolent, uh, go ahead and send me a donation and I'll match it, and we'll get him a tombstone. There we go. <laughs> I feel like I almost know the poor guy. There you go. I'm sure. But, yeah, he was run down by a taxi cab, died the next morning at the Roosevelt Hospital. Hospital. Just injuries too grave to survive. Uh-huh. Knocked him down, ran over his chest and head. So one of those electric cabs probably weighed close to 6,000 pounds. So right. You weren't going to survive <laughs> that. Good article. Lots of good information. Some insight into early automotive history something you might really like, and tons of other things to do while you're on there. Pop on, see what you think. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone line with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Yes, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My son has a 
0-2 Avalanche with 175,000 miles on okay. it. Last night he stopped the truck and cut it off, but some little motor or something was still running. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It was kind of up under the transmission area. Yes, sir. No, exactly what it is. And when I got it home, all I could do was uh, undo the battery to shut it down. Yes, sir. What you do, Mike, go to my website and type in the letters ABS. Yeah. And you're going to see an article with that exact topic on it. And it'll show you where the relay is that you can take out. That way you can reconnect the battery until you can get it in and get it fixed. It's a little module on the frame rail under the driver's seat. And that module is obscenely expensive from General Motors mm-hmm. to the tune of about $1,100. Boo. Now, fortunately, we are able to rebuild those for you mm-hmm. for about 250 bucks. So mm-hmm. it's something that you are going to probably need to fix or it's going to run your battery dead. It's just going to continue to run that pump. It'll burn the pump up, and then the bill's going to go way, way high. Right. So go to my website, look up the article. It'll show you where that relay is located. Pull the relay out for now. That's going to stop the motor from running. The, light, the ABS light will right, pop it's on. It's also going to turn both the lights on. Right. If you got trash control, the trash control light will also come on. But as soon as you can call a lane and make an appointment right. and get it in, we'll pull yours off and then give you the truck back. And then when I get a chance, I'll rebuild it, and we can just get it back in. It takes about 45 minutes to put it back on. Okay. And that will cure your problem for you. But right. uh, that's very common on those vehicles. Yeah, I saw the ABS light was on, so I thought it yeah. might be related to mm-hmm. that. So. It is. It's a what they call a silicone control rectifier, SCR, and uh-huh. that controls the pump. And what it does, when it melts down, it goes Chernobyl. And it fuses, and so right. it runs power to the pump all the time, and it's not dependent on the key switch. So even though the key is out and everything right. else, it's still sitting there running away. It's actually the solenoid pack mm. that operates the solenoids. The magnetic valves are on the electrical pack, and then the regular hydraulic valves are in the... Right, the hydraulic part of it stays on the truck, and the electronic part comes off. You can drive it right. with it off of there. So what okay. we do is we pull them off, and then we rebuild them. We don't stop and rebuild them each one at a time. We wait till we get two or three of them, and we rebuild them all. And I got you. Just get you back in, and we'll pop it on there for you. Sounds good. I will make an appointment. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So, I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, Car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool. <laughs> I, already saw the first I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Hey, 
Welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And, of course, hearing callers ask questions is a whole lot more interesting than hearing you and I. That's for a fact. Sit here and jack our jaw. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of something to say next. So don't be shy. Go ahead and give us a call. 499-9526. We really would appreciate it. Yeah, we'll put you right at the top of the list, too. You got it. Well, I'll tell you, a beautiful day out. This is actually, I guess the fall is always my favorite time of year. I know some I, folks like the spring. I got two favorites. Yeah. Fall and spring. Yeah, some people like the spring better. I do. Some, I like the fall. I like the cold weather. I'm, yeah. just, I'm a cold weather kind of person. I'm coming out of the cold weather. I like to see all the trees start greening back. Yeah, either one's very pleasant. In fact, the weather in South Louisiana is generally pretty pleasant year-round. We really don't get any extreme. We don't get any brutal cold. You get a few days every so many years. It really gets cold. Oh, yeah. Just bone-chilling 30 degrees. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) These guys in New York are like, what? (laughs) I'm swimming at 30 degrees. Yeah, well. Of course, come try New Orleans at 105 with 98% humidity. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) The other side of the coin. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Sheila online. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Ma'am. I have a question. You bet. What causes an oil leak? Or should I say, if you get your oil changed you know, on a regular basis, uh-huh. would that be something that the mechanic would note during a regular oil change, or is, does that have no relevance to that? Some will, some won't. Yeah, it just um, depends on it, where it's leaking. Right. It, most oil change people, you got to remember, an oil change is that. It's an oil change. It's not a general inspection. Right. So if the guy sees something, he's normally going to bring your attention to it. But you can't expect him to do a diagnosis on the car. There are all leaks that are very easy to spot, and there are all leaks that are awful hard to spot, mm-hmm. just depending on where they're leaking. What kind of car is it, Sheila? 2003 Ford Explorer. Okay. One of the, I guess, most common leaks, especially if it was not leaking before an oil change and kind of starts after the oil change, you got to kind of suspect stuff like maybe the oil filter didn't get on quite tight enough and it may be leaking there, possibly the drain plug. Possibly left the gasket from the old filter on and screwed the new one on top. I've seen that happen because sometimes when you take the filter off, the gasket that's on there that seals it to the block will actually stick to the block. Mm -hmm. And if the person taking it off is not real careful and notes that it did come off, I've seen a new one screwed right on top of it and it'll cause a leak. Another thing is sometimes oil gets spilled during the oil change, and most good shops are going to try to clean all that up, but sometimes it'll spill in an obscure spot that you don't see, and then it can drip thereafter. So it would just really depend on what's leaking, where it's leaking. And And how much it's leaking. And how much it's leaking. Yeah, a big puddle is normally going to be something that occurred during the oil change, particularly if it wasn't doing it before. A small leak, you got to remember everything that ever happens to your car will happen after something. Right. It's like Whether tell, it's related or not. Yeah. You tell people that all the time. They'll say, well, you just changed my air conditioner fan, and now the window motor doesn't work. Well, right. okay, but, you know, if a dinosaur steps on your car tomorrow, we have to change your window motor. <laughs> but it won't be related either. So I would probably, if it wasn't leaking prior to the oil change and started thereafter, I would probably just bring it back by and not accusing, but I just say, hey, guys, I'm noticing some oil in my car. Would you mind taking a quick look and just see if it's anything related to the oil change? And most people are glad to do that. And if it was leaking before and after, to answer, I guess, your original question, if it's something that's obvious, generally they're going to tell you about it. But if it's something like a valve cover gasket, which is way up at the top of the motor, those can be a little difficult to see. And if he didn't notice it, he probably just didn't say anything. Okay. 
All right. Well, Alrighty. thank you so much, and I love listening to your show. Well, thank you, Sheila. Thank we you. appreciate you listening. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Four nine 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 five two six is a number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Renee online. Good morning, Renee. Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, good sir. morning. I have a 1994 Dodge Ram 350. Okay. Uh huh. And I've been getting my check engine light, and of course, I've been it's been burning very raw fuel. I guess you could say. Okay. I did the little diagnostic test where you yes, do the switch. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a 32, which is EGR related EGR valve. Once I looked it up on the internet. Okay. My question would be, if I change the EGR valve, would that solve the problem? But would that be the only thing that would cause my vehicle to run rich like that? No, sir. Not at all. So you got to remember, Renee, any code is only a code. What it tells you is what the computer interprets, which if it doesn't see EGR flow, it's going to set a code for an EGR. Now, that doesn't mean that the valve is bad. The valve is one part out of about 50. Well, It could be a vacuum line off of the EGR valve. It, it could, could be carbon inside the intake plugging the passages for the EGR valve. It could be something totally unrelated, like a map sensor that looks for a differential in pressure when the valve opens. So okay. changing parts and hoping to fix that is going to cost you a fortune. Not right. only that, but if you go to a parts store and buy those parts, you may take off a better part than you put back on, and you may create a second problem. <laughs> it's just going to cost you an absolute fortune. What you need right. to do is to take that to someone who knows what they're doing, have them perform a real diagnosis on it, then they can tell you this is the problem. Now, at that point, let's say it is EGR valve and you want to change it yourself. Just say, okay, great, I'll pay you for your time, and I'm going to change it myself. We right. do that a lot for people, and that's not a problem at all. But if you just go in and change the valve, that's one part out of about 50 that can set that code. Right. Now, an EGR valve can cause a rich condition because if it sticks open, it's like a vacuum leak, so the car is going to start running lean, and the O2 sensor is going to start dumping additional fuel. Mm-hmm. Now, what's bad about that is that all that additional fuel is going to go in and take out the catalytic converter. Which is about nine to $1,100. Right. So it's going to get progressively worse if you don't get it taken care of. So it's not an option where, well, I'll get it done one day. You need to jump on that and get it done. And your cheapest money you'll ever spend, most quality shops are going to charge between 90 and $120 an hour. That should take an hour or less to diagnose that properly and tell you, and you'll know you're in the right shop when you hear we charge for the amount of time we spend or we don't have a flat rate. For instance, right. if you come to Agco, we bill in one-tenth of an hour increments. So let's say it takes me a half an hour to find that out. Well, that would be $45. If it takes me 10 minutes, it's $9. If it takes me an hour, it's $90. But they're also going to tell you, I will guarantee you this is the problem. Not, well, we'll see if this is it and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so that's the kind of shop, if you go on the front page of my website, there's an article called Finding a Great Shop. If you read that article, it'll kind of tell you what to look for when you're looking for a shop. But I would pay someone for a proper diagnosis just because it's cheaper to do it that way. Right. That's awesome. I'll do that. I appreciate it. Okay, Renee. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we're going back to the line with Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Listen, I have a, a 96 Nissan 240SX. Uh-huh. My problem is the brake lights came on uh, on and won't go off. I had to pull a fuse to get them to yes, go sir. off. Mm-hmm. What, what causes that? I'm going to tell you, Jerry, almost every time, if you look up the brake pedal, just mm-hmm. lay on your back under the car. You sound like you're a younger fella. You can do that. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I have to get somebody to do it. But look under there. Trace that brake pedal up. You'll see where the brake light switch is. You're going to yes. see a hole 
there where there used to be a little rubber chuchut. On the pedal side. On the pedal side. And there's this little rubber piece that sticks into that pedal and it hits that switch and turns it off. Almost every time that little rubber piece deteriorates, falls out, it's on the floor somewhere. You probably didn't know what it was and threw it away. But then, I think I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Those little rubber things are about $2.50, I think, from Nissan. And okay. if you go on my website and just type in the keyword brake light, it'll bring up an article. It'll even show you a picture of what I'm talking about. If, if the car is a standard transmission, there's going to be two of them, one for the clutch and one for the brake. Go ahead and do yourself a favor and change them both because what's going to happen is that sooner or later, you're not going to be able to start the car because the one on the brake is going to also do the same thing. I mean, the one on the clutch. And you're under there anyway. Yeah, you're there there's anyway. There's no reason to go there twice. Yeah. So there'll, there'll be two, uh, one on the clutch pedal and one that on the... That is correct. Uh, yes. That is correct. Now right. I, I'm and any, it any Nissan dealer can sell those to you. They used to keep them in stock, and if, if they don't have it in stock, they can get it for you pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad I noticed the brake light was on. Because, yeah, uh, it'll kill your battery fast. <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right. I appreciate that. Okay, Jerry. All right, sir. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye, bye. All right, we got to take our quick little break. Steve, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? Putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, Okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we've got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I'm having a, some trouble with my 2009 Silverado. Okay, sir. It's got about 70,000 miles on it. And virtually the whole time I've had it, it's had a situation I call excessive oil consumption. Yes, sir. It uses, between uh, change-ups, it would use about three quarts. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Now, I brought it back, and they replaced a deflector plate up on top mm-hmm. that was actually part of the valve cover. They yes, replaced mm-hmm. that, and the usage still went down to about half of that. So mm-hmm. it's uh, maybe using a quart and a half between oil changes. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to them last time, I said, you know, I was still not happy. This was the dealer. He said, according to GM's information, that the vehicle is now within the normal range of oil consumption, mm-hmm. although it still seems excessive yes, sir. to me. Mm-hmm. But they said they would do some some additional tests, yeah. to maybe see what the problem was. I was just wondering if, if you had seen this kind oh, of absolutely. situation yes, with, sir. The, with the 5.3 liter V8. Well, not only with the 5.3. That, that is a very common issue with all of the domestic cars, Steve. I was behind a Ford truck on the way into the station this morning. Looked like a 2009 or 10, and there was so much smoke coming out of tailpipe, it looked like a fogging machine going down the road. 
Now, when I start mine up, especially mm-hmm. if it's been sitting for a while, yes, sir. it makes a lot of smoke. I've yes, had sir. people comment on that. And that I'm is not correct. talking steam. This is real smoke. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's and, normally um, smoke on startup is going to be the valve guide seals are bad. Right. And what it does, the oil tends to puddle in the valve covers, and because there's vacuum on the intake valve, when you crank it up, it sucks it down that stem if the seal's not good. That is a big repair, but not an insurmountable repair they can do. Now, like they told you, GM would normally not address an oil consumption problem of less than a quart every 500 miles. They say that's normal. And I agree with you, none is normal to me. You know, I don't want to see my car burning any oil. But a lot of the new cars do that. My opinion is it's the fit and finish on the engines. So much of that stuff is imported now. And I can tell you, I tear these engines down every day and see the machine work in them. And it's deplorable. I don't know how to get it past anybody, but they do. But most of the newer cars, and when I say newer, from 07 up, the workmanship and the quality of the vehicle is just really bad. Some of the worst cars I've seen in 40 years. Is there something simpler it could be, like a bad uh, PPC valve or something? No. No, that doesn't have a PVC valve on it. Is this going to uh, damage my catalytic converter? Probably, because but it'll be out of warranty soot, by then. Soot, <laughs> uh, well, it's got a 100,000 miles. Yeah, it'll be out train. of warranty by then. It'll go out about 120 to 140. What do you think I should do? Well, there's really nothing you can do. You, They've got your money up front because they charge you for the warranty when they bought the car. They're going to dictate terms to you. So, I mean, buy a Toyota next time. Other than that, there's nothing you can do. You're going to play by their rules, and they're going to tell you. They, I mean, they're going to jack you around, tell you they tested it and all that. But I'm just telling you what I hear every single day from thousands and thousands of people. All of these things, well, not all of them, a, a large number of the newer vehicles do burn oil. And you'll get anything from, well, that's normally supposed to burn oil to we don't know what's wrong to on and on and on. But there's just very little you can do about it other than put another motor in. I mean, you could change the valve guide seals. I think that if it's smoking on startup, that's very likely going to be the problem with this particular vehicle. Whether or not you can get them to do that is anybody's guess. I mean, I would certainly pursue it. I would certainly try to get them to do it. But if they just say, no, it's within limits, what are you going to do? Kind of like trying to deal with the government. They got your money by taxation, and if they don't give you the service, what are you going to do? I don't know. I wouldn't know what the recourse would be. There is none. I mean, they got your money because they charged you when they sold you the vehicle so much money for a warranty, and they're going to dictate terms to you. So, I mean, other than take it to a civil court and try to sue them, but, of course, GM spends more money on garbage cans in a year than you got to pursue this. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to spend $10,000 trying to take them to court? So, I mean, other than just being politely insistent, if you go to my website, there is an article on, just type in the keyword warranty, and it'll tell you about the warranty process, not only for GM, but for all manufacturers. It'll tell you about the steps you can take and who to contact and that sort of thing. I would try to be as politely insistent as possible because if you get mad, you're not going to get anywhere. All they got to do is say it's normal, that's what they do, and that's it as far as you're going to go. I mean, they got your money and you got a broke car, so you, they're going to win. So other than just try to be nice about it, go back, keep bugging them about it, you may get them to do something, but most people just end up putting up with it. Is there a diagnostic test to see if my catalytic converter is plugged? When it plugs, you'll know. I mean, it's, right. it's not going to give you any warning signs. It'll set a PO420 when it goes below efficiency. When it plugs up, you'll start getting back pressure and all that sort of thing. It's not going to be at that point right now. That's normally not going to occur. It can take a lot. It's, it's a very well-built unit. It can take probably to 120 to 140,000 miles before it's going to go out. 
But, you, yeah, you're dumping oil into the converter, so it's like pouring fuel on the fire. It's sooner or later, it's going to definitely shorten the life of it. That's why I don't understand how they get this past the EPA, but they do. And, and like I say, it's not just GM. It's Ford, it's Chrysler, all of them burning oil. I don't guess there would be any kind of recall on something like that. Oh, absolutely not. No. Recall is only for a safety-related item. If it burns a quart of oil every 500 miles, like you can't. it's not going to be a recall. They have no wherewithal on that. The only thing you could hope for would be a class action suit. If enough owners got together and you were part of the class, then, but that's not likely. Just the cost of those sorts of things. A lawyer, number one, is not going to be real interested in getting involved in it because there's no personal injury or thing where it will be hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to him. Right. It's just going to be an annoyance to you. And, again, all they have to do is say that's normal. They're supposed to do that. Which is what they're saying now. Which is what they're saying. And you take it to court, and the engineer says, that's normal. That's the way I built the truck. And you say, well, it shouldn't be. He says, okay, who are you? And what are you going to do? Where are you going from there? You know. So, I mean, they got all the cards. Right. I mean, the only thing you can do is next time you buy a car, remember that and buy a Toyota. Right. <laughs> buy something else. Buy something else, yeah. Yeah, buy something else. That, that's, 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 that's what a lot of people are doing. Well, it, You don't realize it, but a lot of people are well, doing yeah, that now. Yeah, and I mean, it's just like everything else. It's sort of like our government. The only thing you can do is vote. Next time around, just remember what they do and vote. Same thing, because you don't have any, any real wherewithal. I mean, you can't force them to do anything. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I appreciate All right, Steve. Thoughts. Thanks, All man. Right, Thank you very sir. much. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. 499-9526, a number. If you want to be part of the automotive art, we'd love to have you. That is one of the most common things, complaints, I guess, we see with the newer cars. Right. And... I sit at the counter every day, and I talk to a lot of folks, and people come in constantly with that complaint. And they are being told that that is normal, that they're supposed to do that. A lot of what the manufacturer well, they're supposed to burn all. The new engines are supposed to burn. Wait a minute. Yeah, you tell exactly. me it's supposed to burn all? Exactly. This stuff is not supposed to be in the catalytic converter. Yeah. You've been saying that for years. We yeah. don't want this in the catalytic converter. How are we getting all but this we, soot past the EPA? That's right. what I don't understand. We engineered it to burn all. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on now. now. Why didn't you engineer it not to burn all? Exactly. It took too much. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I've got a 2002 model Chevy pickup with the old 4.3, which is basically like the old 350 with the two middle cylinders gone. Right. And I changed my oil every 3,000 miles, and it is right on full. It doesn't burn any oil at all every 3,000 miles. Yeah. Never has. So, apparently, if they're supposed to do that, mine must be broke. <laughs> so, why don't you break this one like mine? You know? Well, you know. My Buick doesn't burn any oil. You I mean, can, it had a lot of other problems, but it doesn't burn all. You can engineer it where it wouldn't. Well, it you just, could. You could. It just takes fit and finish. You're it supposed does. to fit those cylinders properly, and, the right finish on the cylinder God, that, that stuff today is just horrible. Well, we see it where they come in leaking oil or leaking coolant, and you pull the intake manifold off, and the machine work looks like a piece looks of— looks like cornrows. Well, it looks like it's semen out there in the— Parking yeah. lot is so rough. Yeah. There's no way it could seal. I don't see how anything seals to it. No, no, and it's just the cheap junk they're throwing out there. I mean, I know we harp on that a lot, and I hate to I do too. be a basher, really but that's just the fact of what I see every single day. Is, yeah. Man, I tell you, the quality of the newer stuff is really, really not where not, I want to see no, it. <laughs> not at all. I ain't buying one, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going back to our phone lines with Johnny. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks, sir. Merry Christmas. I got an O2 Ford. Okay. Uh, 150 pickup, you know, uh-huh. that gets about 8 to 10 miles a gallon. Wow, that's a little low. I hope they told you, especially with the price of gas. But anyway, I got 285-16 tires on it. Now, I don't know what that's doing or not. Now, I got a four-wheel drive. Yeah. You know, drive. Well, a four-wheel drive is not going to get great mileage. How much has it ever gotten, Johnny? Did it used to get better than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. Definitely okay. Did. Well, I'm going to tell you the things to check in the order to check them because there's a number of things that can cause a drastic drop in mileage like that. Number one is 
make sure the engine is getting to full operating temperature. Okay? okay, and just looking at the gauge is not enough because there's two sender units, one for the gauge and one for the computer. And if the one for the gauge is working properly, and let's say it is getting to full temperature, but let's say the one for the computer is not working, and the engine thinks it's 40 degrees below zero outside, it's going to start double pulsing the injectors because an injected engine doesn't have a choke, so what it does, it double fires the injectors, and your gas mileage is going to the toilet. So the number one input to gas mileage is engine temperature. I'm going to have a black exhaust pipe, right? Not necessarily, because you've got a catalytic converter between that's going to burn all that up. Okay. Now you're going to have a burned-up catalytic converter. For, yeah, for, <laughs> for as much as it can. Yeah, it's going to do it to the extent that it can, but you will definitely fry your catalytic converters, which on that truck, if it's a V8, it's got two of them, and they're about $1,100 each. This so, is what, a 4.6? Yeah, you're spending a whole lot of money on the extra gas to burn up two expensive converters. So... Check and make sure you're getting to full operating temperature. Full temperature on that is about 200 degrees. Okay. Okay. If it's not, it's going to definitely fry a lot of extra gas. Now, if the engine temperature is perfect and it's getting to full, the next thing would be something like an oxygen sensor that is reading off range. And it may or may not set a check engine light because if the sensor does not read at all or if it reads one extreme or the other, it can flag a check engine light. But it can also be lazy, where it's indicating the engine is lean, whereas it isn't lean, then it's going to add additional fuel to try to make it rich. The next thing would be an airflow meter that is dirty, because the airflow meter tells the engine how much air is going into the engine. And if the airflow meter starts to get dirty, it doesn't know how much air is going in, so it may add additional fuel. So that would be another thing to look at. Now, you're going to hear all kind of stuff like, oh, change your air filter. Absolutely not. An air filter cannot affect gas mileage in any way shape or form anybody tells you it is doesn't know what they're talking about right. the air filter can be 100 percent restricted it's not going to affect your gas mileage one bit okay. all it's going to do is slow you down because it's just like closing the throttle right. so if anything a plugged up air filter give you better gas mileage <laughs> okay but those three things are by far the leading causes now any kind of a misfire or anything like that like a spark plug it's not firing 100 percent you know if that spark plug is missing once every thousand revolutions, it's going to knock your mileage down pretty good. So I've, changed, it, I've changed the plugs. I've okay. That, a weak ignition call, anything that would cause the engine to misfire, even if you can't hardly feel it, can do that. On a Ford, you can do a cylinder balance test if you got your PDS tool, and it'll tell you if your full cylinders are contributing like they should. And, I mean, there's lots of other things, but those are by far the most common. If you check all that and you hadn't found anything, call me back, and I'll give you some more stuff. What's your number at your shop? 291-6900. I'll call you Monday morning. There you go. Thank you, man. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break, and we will be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I've seen meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think b- I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. 
Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with my co-host, Mr. Brian Terry, lead tech from AGCO Automotive. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. And we've got Charles on the line. Good morning, Charles. Yes, sir. I've got an 03 F250 with a 6-liter diesel in it. Okay, sir. Starting to have a lot of problems with it uh, running not so smoothly anymore. Mainly, when it starts up, it takes a long time for it to get where when you take off. Yes, sir. You can even hold the pedal down on the floor. Yes, sir. No right. power. Anywhere. Yeah, and then once it warms right. up, it's better. That... Charles is almost always the injectors on that thing, and that engine is notorious for that problem. That is almost always what the problem is with them. That's a huge, huge repair. That engine, in my opinion, should have been a policy adjustment from Ford on that because it was just a horrible engine from that respect. Now, once you get that fixed, it's not a bad motor, but you can almost book you're going to put a set of injectors on it you're probably going to put an EGR cooler on it. You're going to put an oil cooler on it. You might put a set of head gaskets on it before you get it straightened out. Right. So that's almost always what that is. You'll lack power in the morning when you first crank up. Runs real bad. Sputter, run bad. Yeah. Then once it warms up, it'll it'll go better. But you can bring it to a diesel guy. He can do a fuel pressure test on it. He can tell you for sure that's what it is. But that's almost always what that and is. And that's my question. To get an unbiased opinion on it, surely all those guys tell you they can fix it. Mm-hmm. Are they being fixed? Because I mean, the the truck is great, yeah. except for the engine, and yeah. I don't want I don't want to go spend five thousand dollars right to get it fixed. Because, however, that's cheaper than a new truck. It is pricing the new trucks, and yes, sir. Well, they started you know sixty to all the way up to seventy five thousand. That's correct. Yeah. And what I've seen of them, Charles, yes, that does fix that problem. It's not going to fix the problem with EGR. It's not going to fix the problem with the oil cooler. It's not going to fix the head gasket problem, but. Again, I don't think I would spend the money on all that unless and until it all occurs, because it may not. Well, it doesn't occur on every vehicle. Yeah, it could be. I mean, any well, good... I notice, too, when I'm, when I'm taking off, mm-hmm. even after it's warmed up completely, I have to feather the accelerator for it to shift in yes, the sir. first shift cycle. Well, it's not going to shift properly until the engine makes proper power, because the transmission is controlled by the engine. So, Well, it's blowing white smoke out yeah, until I... That's all the same thing. Right. Yeah, just okay. bring it to a good diesel guy, and see that EGR cooler can leak coolant into the exhaust and make that white smoke, too. Gotcha. That's real easy to fix while you're doing the injectors, and most good guys are going to tell you, hey, look, we're doing the injectors. Let's go ahead and do the EGR. Let's go ahead and do the oil cooler. Whatever is right in the area... Right. They right. would do. Now, I wouldn't go much beyond that. In other words, I wouldn't go spend an extra $5,000 on head gaskets just in case they might happen because I've seen a lot of them go 250,000 miles and never have that problem. But Even the 6 liter? Yes, sir. Okay. Occasionally, you get some just don't have the head gasket issue. Some do, some don't. You just got to be prepared. All of them, yeah, all of them have that injector problem, and almost all of them have the EGR problem and the oil cooler problem. There's also some what they call stands where the injector rails sit. There's some gaskets under there that go out a lot. But, again, any diesel guy is going to know that. He's going to change all that while he's in there. Well, we've already been in it once, and that was about 1800 to change some of the injectors. And I'm like, okay, where do I draw the line? Yeah, so. that's kind of a waste, I think, because you're paying the labor anyway, which is not insignificant, and mm-hmm. you might as well just change them all. But, mm-hmm. again, you got to need to talk to somebody who knows, who works on diesels, but – 
they all. I don't want to mention any names, but it was a, one of the guys here locally. So yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, do that and find out what kind of parts they're using. You know, you want the Ford injector, the latest and mm-hmm. greatest updated one, and all that. But overall, I'm not that displeased with that truck, other than that deplorable engine they put in it. It's the reason why a 2002 with a 7.3 liter still oh, going yeah. for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants it. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thank bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six. A number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. And we've got Jerry on the line. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Doing great, Doing sir. Great. Good. Listen, I got a question about a Lexus. I have okay. an LS, and they tell me that I do not need to change the transmission fluid. Ah, eh, wrong. I'm sure they do. <laughs> no, just go buy a new car when That's it burns it. up. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Now, Jerry, there's not a vehicle made that does not need the transmission fluid changed in it. Just because the nature of a transmission is such that it's hundreds of gears and bushings and stuff that's turning and going around, that's producing debris, they all have a filter in them, which is trying to take that debris out of the fluid, and the nature of a filter is that it's going to plug up. If a filter doesn't plug up, then it's not doing its job. There's no such thing as a permanent filter. That's an oxymoron. A filter to do its job is going to plug up. When it plugs up, it's going to restrict the fluid flow when it restricts the fluid flow, your pressure is going to drop. Inevitably, the transmission is going to burn up. Now, if it were my car, knowing what I know about the cost of that transmission and all that, I would change that at 50,000 miles. I would have a proper service done Proper to service, it not at a flush. 50,000. And then I would change it again every 50,000 miles. If it wasn't done at 50, let's say you got 100 now, it's not too late. It's never too late. It's sort of right. like smoking. It's best to stop when you're 20, but if you stop at 50, it's better than not stopping at all. Okay. So I would. I got 125,000 miles on it. Now. Yes, sir. Well, you pass due, but you know there's nothing you can do about that. That's water under the bridge, but you don't want to wait until you burn up a $4,000 transmission to find out that they were wrong. <laughs> you know? And again, you got to remember, a lot of times the folks who are giving you that advice are in the business of selling new cars. Oh yeah. So yes, it definitely needs to be serviced and watch out because there are a lot, a lot of people out there who sell what they call a flush. They just take your cooler lines off, hook a little machine to it, run clean fluid through a dirty transmission. Does absolutely no good at all. Can damage the transmission. That's not what you want. What you want is someone to remove the pan, remove the filter, adjust whatever can be adjusted inside, replace the filter, replace the fluid, new gasket, adjustments, and all that. That's a proper transmission service. And that is Is definitely going to prevent any lubrication-related problems. Is that something that y'all can do up there? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we specialize in. That's all Josh Wilson does. Okay. You got it. I appreciate that. All right. All right, sir. All you money. Sounds great, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526. number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. I had a fella coming the other day, and the dealership told him that it was a permanent filter on his transmission. Okay. I said, now, what's a permanent filter? <laughs> <laughs> One that stays there the life of the transmission. Well, yeah, the key word being life of the transmission. When exactly. it burns up, it's, not, it's dead. It ain't more life. That's yeah. exact. exactly. Yeah, kind of like Microsoft works. <laughs> 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 Those words just don't go together. Permanent filter, man, come on. You know, exactly. jump, jumbo peanut or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, a filter by its nature is going, it's a sacrificial element. Exactly. It is going to fill up with debris because it's removing debris from the fluid. That's what it does. And... The better the filter, the, the quicker faster. it's going to. Yeah, the faster it's going to plug up. Correct. It's sort of like I was talking to a guy one time about oil filters, and he was asking me what size particle an oil filter. I said, well, a common oil filter will filter down to a forty micron particle. Uh huh. 
He said, man, that's pretty big. I said, yes, it is. Most damage is done by particles in the three micron range. So why don't they put a three micron filter on it? I said, well, they could do that, but you either have to change it every day or it'd have to or be as big, big as, as a car. truck. <laughs> <laughs> so there are limits to what you can engineer into a filter, but the better the filter is, the more effective the filter is, the faster it's going to plug up. Sure. But there is no such thing as a permanent filter. Not in anything. Not in anything. Not ever. And the fluid is not so much the problem, although fluid does inevitably go bad. The petroleum part of the fluid, the lubrication side of it, lasts a good while. Uh-huh. But stuff like friction modifiers, polymers, seal conditioners, anti-foam agents, anti-corrosives. That the, stuff wears down. It goes away, and that's when you start having problems. When the fluid materials that keep the seals pliable breaks down, then the seals start to harden. And when the seals harden, the fluid bypasses the seal, and that's when your tramway starts slipping. Exactly. Well, when it starts slipping, it burns up real fast. Right, because it's not designed to slip. It's no. designed for a hydraulic pressure. And well, it's, it's supposed to be clamped up. together and rotating, right. and if they're slipping, it's generating a huge amount of heat, and it doesn't take any time at all when they start slipping. The end is very, very close oh, at definitely. that point. Now, a Lexus transmission, you're probably talking four grand. Oh, easy. So, and that's if it's a four-speed. Uh, you know, you start yeah, you getting five, a newer six. five or six-speed, you may total a car. Eight speeds. That's yeah. correct. But in my opinion, if I had a vehicle with a transmission like that, I would be servicing it every 50,000 miles. Just because that is so cheap compared to the price of a transmission. Yeah, you're going to spend under 150, maybe under 200 dollars. Yeah, under 200 dollars to, to service get it, it service to save a four four thousand dollar repair. Forty five hundred dollars. If you got a six speed or more than that, you may be saving an eight to ten thousand dollar repair. Well, that's it. And your uh, new Chevrolets, Chevy trucks, all have six, six speeds. speeds in that's them. correct. Almost everything is coming with that. The newer vehicles, right? It's one of those things that if you don't do it, by the time you find out you've made a mistake. It's too late. It's you're spending it. Way too late to do anything about it. <laughs> well, either, either you're spending it to fix it or you're getting another one. Yeah, you, so you can spend a little bit to prevent it. Now, does that mean you're going to prevent every single problem that could ever occur? No, Absolutely you're not. not. Because if an electric solenoid goes out, it's still going to go down. Or if a part physically breaks, it's still going to go down. But you're going to eliminate the lubrication and leak-related problems to which a great are, degree. Which are a big, big well, problem. Well, it's probably most. 75% of the problems with most. Right. You're going to probably increase your odds 90% on 75% of your problems. That's great. Which is a pretty darn good deal That's for, for the cost-benefit uh, analysis there. Yeah. I see we're just about totally out of time for today. Again. Again. <laughs> so I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to iTunes and give us a rating. We yeah, really appreciate we that. We really, really do. That just makes my day when I go out Monday morning and see another rating on there. we got 55. Boy, I sure would like to see about 60 of them on there. There you so. go. Go ahead, give us a rating. We really would appreciate it. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Hey, have a great weekend.